Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. No. This is Creepy. A podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents A Creepy Convalescence Written by Paul Casely and narrated by Cole Burkhart. The dark clouds rolled and tumbled around the huge mansion as I walked towards it, ready to start my first job. I noticed almost immediately that Ivy had climbed up the walls and looked less like a decorative ornamental and more like a green psoriasis, invading the brickwork and creating a blight upon it. The lawn had a brown tinge to it that belied the fact that the present groundskeeper gave little attention and care to it. To be fair, I had noticed no benches or walkways into the grounds, so doubtless the grounds were ill-used by the clients of this residence as well. I felt my stomach do a somersault. I was nervous enough about starting my new profession in geriatric care, and the atmosphere I was entering did little to assuage it. 
Sighing, I climbed the first set of steps and started on my way to Pinecroft Place Retirement Residence. I noticed that the steps themselves were quite worn in places. I had little doubt that these steps could be a death trap during the winter if they were not properly shoveled and salted. However, this was a common problem throughout Canada, and not just to this odd, privately owned retirement facility in Stratford, Ontario. Finding work was often difficult in this day and age, and I was pleased to have been accepted for any job. I knew that, despite how dismal this place looked on the outside, the residence could be a joy, and perhaps I would find fellow employees to enjoy the company of. I told myself that my feelings of ill-ease were just opening-day jitters and not some oracle sense of foreboding. At least I hoped that was true. As I shuffled my way through the front door, which had evidently been permitted to fall into squalor of dry rot, I was greeted by the one person I did know. Julie had taken part in my interview, and was now to become my closest supervisor as I began my employ. As usual, her demeanor was bright and cheerful. To be honest, I was relieved to see her, and she was a principal reason I took the position when offered— despite the relatively small size of the home and its poor reputation for being destitute. Everyone has to start somewhere, after all. Oh, you made it! came Julie's cheerful voice as she walked up to greet me. Uh, yeah, I replied. I have to admit, I was feeling more nervous than I had ever felt before. The idea of starting a job is difficult enough, but something about this particular locale made my heart sink even further than it usually would have. Well, I'm glad you found the place, and I suppose I'll show you around, she replied, continuing to hold that brightness in her voice despite my less than enthusiastic reply. The tour that followed was quite typical, and should have put me at ease except for the small things that seemed to poke darkly out of the edges. Uh, for example, the book room had nothing that was newer than 70 years old, meaning many of the books were older than our oldest inhabitants, and nothing was as new as the youngest. There was a dingy darkness that seemed to permeate everywhere we went. The fixtures in the bathroom were old, and I thought I saw knob and tube wiring on the outside of the walls. This was both sadly antiquated, having been used from the 1880s until the 1940s, and a fire hazard. The fact that the home had its own morgue was also a bit gruesome to me, although I couldn't fault the sense of it. But the worst experience came when I was taken into the less-than-active activity room to meet some of the residents. "'Hello, everyone,' said Julie cheerfully to the assembled morass of hoary residents, and then she introduced me as a new staff member there to help them. Not one person said a word." Their unblinking eyes fixated on me, and I could feel a dozen or so holes bored into me by them. When I took a step, every resident's eyes followed me soundlessly, still unblinking. The way the eyes caught the sad lighting in the room made them seem xanthus, 
the sickly yellow almost glowing from their sockets. I suppressed a shiver as I looked at the withered figures in front of me and raised a hand in half-hearted greeting. I wanted nothing more than to vacate the room as soon as humanly possible, and suddenly the idea of having to deal with this shockingly sinister rabble almost made me vomit on the spot. This wasn't what I was expecting, and I was suddenly concerned that my entire career path had taken a very wrong turn. In what seemed like an eternity, Julie finally suggested we move on. Upon exiting the room, I breathed a sigh of relief as the ominous atmosphere dissipated. What was that all about? I asked. Well, they would have received their daily meds at breakfast a couple hours ago. It takes a bit for them to work, and then they sometimes act a little weird until their system settles down, Julie explained with an all-too-wide grin. She was the experienced one. She was the expert. But in all the classes I had taken, I have never heard of that kind of a reaction to regular medication before. What's more... It was truly unusual that such a large group would be taking medications that would create the same side effect at exactly the same time. Despite my immediate misgivings with Julie's explanation, I said nothing as we continued the tour into the residential area. There were several unoccupied rooms in that part of the residence, but a few still had their tenants in them as they had obviously not joined the strange flock in the activity room. Most waved hello to me or uttered a quiet greeting as I was introduced and we walked through. Clearly, whatever was afflicting the group I had met was not indicative of what was happening with all the residents. I started to feel a bit more comfortable as we met some of the more normal clients. As we turned into one of the rooms, an old woman said loudly, Hey, what are you doing here? This is my room, not yours. If you're here to steal from me, you can go to hell. Oh, you're absolutely right. We're just on a tour, Maddie, came Julie's reply. We have a new helper for you. Well, shit, she proclaimed. Hopefully this one lasts longer than the others. Looks like they just got out of primary school. I suppressed a chuckle at both the crude language and the comment about my youth. I knew immediately that I would like Maddie, and did even more as Julie filled me in on her eccentricities. It seemed she was married and had been for almost sixty years. Her husband was still living in the family home. About five years ago, Maddie had said she had had enough with cooking and cleaning a full house and that she wanted to move into a retirement home and that she didn't care whether her husband came with her or not. He was welcome to join her when he was ready to, but the husband was concerned about cost and nostalgic about her family home. As a result, the two, despite visiting often, were living apart. She had two grown children, and of them, her son regularly visited. While most people would have found the arrangement odd, they were obviously comfortable with it, and Maddie seemed to possess a spirit that most of the other inhabitants did not. She was almost refreshingly forward, with no cruelty or nastiness intended. For the next two weeks while I was training, I was on the day shift. The days were pretty much the same. 
I would check on the creepy crowd in the activity room and then go from room to room checking on the inhabitants, making sure everyone was fed and looked after, and generally getting to know whoever I could. I knew more duties would be added as my shadowing came to an end, but for the time being, I was enjoying getting to know people, especially Maddie. We would often talk for prolonged periods of time. She would tell me about her children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren while asking me questions about my own life. A friendship was forged during this time and strengthened even more when she asked me to pass something to her that was in the top drawer of the dresser. As bid, I opened the drawer and saw a stash of Vacan chocolate caramel cakes. You're not really supposed to have these, Maddie. Not with your diabetes. I'm an old woman who's gonna die sooner rather than later. What difference does one damned little cake make? You gonna tell on me? She asked, eyeing me with a mixture of concern and suspicion. Honestly, I didn't see much point. I was there when one of the workers checked her blood sugar levels, and it seemed all right. I also agreed with her overall sentiment that if you take away the simple pleasures in life, you might as well be dead. They were residents, after all, not inmates. Nah, I responded, prompting her to tell me to have one, too. I knew then that we had a friendship forged in chocolate caramel cake. As innocuous as the day could be, I was not looking forward to the nights. I was especially not looking forward to dealing with the creepy crowd, and when the night shift came, I felt a sense of impending dread that far outstripped what I felt when I first started the position. On the surface, it was pretty simple. Make sure everyone was comfortable, ensure that the nighttime medication was properly administered, and keep an eye during the night that no one wandered out of bed. The doors to the outside were all bolted, and the windows on the first floor were all locked, ensuring none of our clients could go for a less-than-lucid walk into the night. Still, despite the simplicity of the tasks, there was a sinister aura that expanded over the entirety of Pinecroft during the night. I know that Maddie felt it too, as she had told me to keep her door bolted shut after she turned in for the night. But your roommate hasn't come back yet, I responded to her request. She can go to hell, came the retort I had come to expect from Maddie. She spends all the time with the activity room fiends now, and has even unofficially moved into an empty bed in one of their rooms. Don't wait for her. And be careful of yourself when you're out on your rounds. The strangeness of this situation was not lost on me, as I ensured the locks were secure on her door. Patients were not supposed to move around on their own, although a transfer to another room was almost never refused if there was a vacancy. I made a note of the situation and decided to let Julie know in the morning. There was no sense in tossing a ruckus right now. I was nervous enough as it is. Those ghouls can collect them on themselves. I don't want them here. You should check the morgue sometimes, and then you'll understand. All right, Maddie. Maybe I will. Although the morgue was not a place I really wanted to visit, I couldn't help but take Maddie seriously. As I traversed the telegenous corridors during my nightly rounds, I began to notice some oddities. 
If a resident was a member of what Maddie called the activity room fiends, the doors were wide open and a soft snoring could be heard. If the resident kept away from the odd click, the doors were shut and bolted, meaning only the master key I held could gain me entrance. I was a bit concerned about the safety of this arrangement, but I also knew that there were no residents using direct medical equipment, such as ventilators, that needed my attention. It was possible that a resident could die behind those locked doors, but if I were honest, it was a retirement home, and residents regularly died in their sleep without ever asking for direct assistance. That was the reason there was a morgue in the building. Each resident room was equipped with call buttons, and I knew I would move as quickly as I could if needed. I eventually began descending the stairs to the place the morgue was located. The cold darkness was to be expected as I passed the rooms that medical examinations were done by the nurse who visited twice a week, as well as the administrative offices, to come to the door labeled morgue at the end of the hallway. I would be lying if I didn't say I hesitated for a moment in two. The morgue currently held two former residents, the reason for the vacancy that Maddie's roommate had capitalized on, and I was never thrilled with dealing with cadavers. This in mind, I decided to listen at the door for a second or two before I opened it. Again, I can admit that it was an odd thing to do, as the only residents in that room at this hour would not be moving around, but some sixth sense was obviously in operation, as I could have sworn I heard movement. I gathered my resolve and turned the handle to enter the small, cold room, and heard scurrying and a flurry of movement as I did so. The shattering of glass filled my ears as I threw open the door and turned on the lights. The ground floor window was in ruins, and the room was devoid of anyone or anything save Alan, a resident who had died the day before, laying only partially covered on the sliding metal shelf in his mortuary drawer. The sight of Alan was less troubling to me than the obvious signs that the cadaver had been defiled as flesh had been torn away from bone in several locations leaving jagged red marks. I immediately reached for my cell phone and dialed 911. The police arrived soon after my call and took away Alan's body. I described the events that had occurred and protested when the police postulated that an animal had broken in through the window to consume the body. First, I told them, it would be difficult to find an animal proficient in opening the latches and the drawer to slide the body out of its metal tomb. To that, they stated that raccoons were more than smart enough. While I have no doubt that they are intelligent, I have never heard of raccoons making their way into a sealed metal drawer to eat a human body. Secondly, I told them that the window had definitely smashed upon the egress of whoever or whatever was in the room. The police retorted that some glass still might have been intact as the animal left. At any rate, they would test the body as bite marks should tell the species. From there, they asked me to slide Marcus out of his current resting place 
the other resident who had died recently and was awaiting mortuary transfer. Marcus was similarly uncovered and showed signs that something had chewed on his body sometime before. This stymied the police, but they still clung fast to their current supposition involving local trash pandas. Eventually, the police left, and I started to maneuver the residents back to bed, as several had awakened to investigate the hubbub. As I crossed through the crowd, showing them to their rooms, Maddie spoke to me. Eh, you probably shouldn't have done that. You took away their food, and now they'll be hungry. Who? I asked. The creeps, remember? I said they were ghouls. You should forget about your rounds tonight and lock yourself in with me. I looked at Maddie. While I had every belief that the culprits were not raccoons, I did not believe that the elderly residents of this home were eating bodies. The supposition seemed to be too far-fetched and crazy. I told Maddie that I would be alright, and she reminded me that she would be locking her door soon after being settled, and that I should come with her. I wish I would have listened. After getting everyone resettled, I went to the activity room with a book to read. I have to admit, I was more than a little rattled and hoped that I would be able to settle down. Soon, the silence around me began to weigh heavily on the night. It was calming in a strange way, and I wish it would have remained, as after an hour or so, a shuffling and scraping sound began to replace the heavy silence. I got up and checked on the hallways, only to have the noise stop immediately. This troubled me slightly, although I did know that a building this old was prone to having vermin. Almost as soon as I sat down, the noises began again. I got up and walked to the doorway, and as I did, the sounds stopped again. I stood there, looking into the inky darkness, when my cell phone started to ring, causing me to jump. I answered to find the police detective I had talked to earlier on the other end. Listen, you want to lock yourself in somewhere until we get there. The teeth marks on the cadavers were human. We think the perpetrators are still somewhere in the house. I'm sorry, you were right, came the voice on the other line. I shuddered inwardly at the thought, and as I prepared to run somewhere to lock myself in, I saw several sets of glowing amber eyes moving scratchily towards me. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Creepy Presents Fortress of Fun Written by Allie Price And narrated by Megan McDuffie Ever since I can remember... I've always been a huge fan of parks. No, not the ones adorned with trees and scattered with walking paths. I'm talking theme parks and amusement parks. 
Anything with rides and immersive atmospheres that allow you to forget about life for a little bit. Memories from my childhood of cotton candy, Ferris wheels, and castles were so sweet and simple. Some of the best times of my life. The experiences at these parks, both past and present, could never be tainted. Or so I thought. It was on a crisp autumn day that I ran out of the Fortress Fun Amusement Park, and why I will never be returning to my once-beloved parks ever again. Oftentimes I was a solo park-goer, enjoying the independence and flexibility going on my own aloud. I could take as much time as I needed to fully absorb and appreciate my surroundings, not to mention ride my favorite rides as many times as I wanted. So, on a cool October day, I decided to take my own solo trip to a new pop-up amusement park near my hometown. I saw flyers for this place plastered all over town, touting a never-before-seen park experience and an atmosphere like no other. Fortress of Fun, the flyer read. You'll never want to leave. While I loved the idea of a new and quirky park, I must admit I did find the name a bit... odd. Fortress of Fun? I mean, really, what about an impenetrable building of war evoked feelings of fun? But given the fall season and the silly alliteration, I kind of understood what they were going for. As I ventured up into the woods where this mysterious park was hidden, I couldn't help but feel the giddiness bubbling up inside my chest. Amusement parks were my second home, and today's establishment was one I haven't had the pleasure of experiencing yet. This wasn't my hometown's average county fair. Oh no, this was a traveling park never seen in our area before. The unknown of it all was intoxicating, to say the least. I could feel myself grinning maniacally at the thought alone. After what felt like an eternity, I heard the gravel crunch loudly under my tires as I pulled into the overgrown parking lot. As I threw my car into park, I surveyed the area and noticed about six or seven other cars parked in the lot with me. Rats, guess I'm not the first one here, I thought glumly wanting to be the first guest to set foot in this anomaly of a park. I shaded my eyes and squinted through my windshield, desperately searching for any glimpse of a tall roller coaster or some themed buildings. A smile started to pull at the corners of my mouth as my gaze fell upon the spires of a castle poking through the thick forest of evergreens. Must be a fun house, or maybe a dark ride, I thought to myself excitedly. Those are my two favorite kinds of attractions, as they were always so shrouded with mystery and lore. I quickly grabbed my backpack filled with my park essentials, water, snacks, foam charger, out of my back seat, and proceeded to the Fortress of Fun's entrance gate. At the ticket window sat a rather miserable-looking man, but he brightened as he saw me approach. "'Good morning, young lady,' he greeted me enthusiastically. "'You're the early bird of the day. First one in!' I paused for a moment before responding, remembering the cars parked alongside me in the parking lot. That's strange, I thought, but I shook my head and smiled, reminding myself that it could easily be all of the staff's cars. I'm sorry, I said with a shrug. Must have made better time than I thought. Well, we're still running our morning tests on most of our rides, but you're welcome to come in and wander about, the man offered. I looked at him with gratitude sticking my hand in my pocket to fish out a $5 bill for the entry fee indicated on the signs. The man waved his hand at me with a chuckle. 
<laughs> Early birds always get in free, he said with a wink. As bizarre as that was, and felt, I wasn't about to pass up free entry into an amusement park. I turned to face the gateway into the fortress, which, as the name promised, looked like heavy-duty archways designed to keep trespassers out. My eyes took in the vastness of the façade, tracing from the spiked detailing on the top of the arches to the fake skeletons scattered amongst the outer walls. Impressive for a pop-up, I thought. Must have bought a bunch of old theater props or something. As I passed under the arches, I couldn't help but feel slightly uneasy. I had never been the first and only person in a park before, certainly not one found deep in the woods of the Adirondacks. I almost considered turning back to my car and driving far away from the place until my eyes landed on all the things that put my mind at ease. Cotton candy stands, Ferris wheels, and roller coasters. I was home. My apprehension disappeared as a wave of joy and nostalgia washed over me. I began to wander aimlessly through the empty park. I inhaled deeply through my nose, reveling in the familiar smells of popcorn and sickly sweet candy. I let my nose and watering mouth steer me in the direction of a food stand, where my nostalgia was abruptly interrupted by the high-pitched whisperings of two rugged female park employees. You look lost, the one with the crooked yellow teeth sneered. My eyes darted to her name tag, which read Bertha. Of course it was. Yeah, and all alone, crooned the other, a middle-aged woman with two frizzy pigtails, clumsily fashioned on the sides of her head. Her name tag said Peggy. Oh, I, I'm just waiting for the rides to open, I stuttered awkwardly. Got here a little too early. Well, lucky for you, our famous fantastical forest ride is all open and ready to go, Peggy said gesturing toward a building that looked like a castle, adorned with detailed spires reaching to the sky, the same ride I spotted poking through the trees when I first arrived. Excited but timid, which was rare for me, I asked, What is it? Bertha grinned menacingly toward me with her crooked teeth. It's just your average dark ride. You take a cute little buggy on an adventure through the woods. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, I thought. I nodded my head in silent consent at the women. Excellent, we'll meet you over there. The women chimed in unison, giggling as they skipped toward the ride. I slowly made my way over to the castle, somewhat dragging my feet. Usually, the thought of experiencing a new ride in an amusement park that I practically had to myself would have made me float away in ecstasy. However, that initial feeling of uneasiness returned, but this time it felt more like dread. I just couldn't shake it. Snap out of it, I thought harshly to myself. Just enjoy this experience and stop being a paranoid baby. With a deep breath and renewed sense of bravery, I marched over to the fantastical forest. As I reached the foot of the stairs that led up to the ride platform, I couldn't help but admire the intricacies of the castle's facade. Towering spires and stained glass windows were highlights of this haunting building. As I marveled at the details, I thought I caught sight of a mournful face peeking out of one of the beautiful stained glass windows, but it disappeared before I could register it. You ready? The strange ladies called, leaning on the ride's control panel, tapping their feet impatiently. I walked up the steps and onto the ride platform. Every sense of my body was screaming that this was wrong, but I persisted. 
A small, rickety, black buggy came barreling up the track, stopping right in front of me. As the lap bar lifted, the ladies motioned for me to climb aboard. I sat down gingerly and lowered my lap bar. Ready? Peggy said. I gave her a thumbs up. And away you go! She hit a button and the car lurched into motion. As I turned the corner heading into the castle itself, I heard one of the women snarl. We got ourselves another one! I plunged into darkness as the castle doors banged shut behind me. It was freezing inside. Clearly heat wasn't in the budget for this place. I bundled myself tightly in my jacket, attempting to keep the chills that enveloped my body at bay. After a minute or two, my eyes finally saw some light coming around the next corner. As the buggy turned, some happy yet distorted music started to play, like some sort of demented children's cartoon. The first scene of the ride greeted me, showing two mannequins standing outside of a cookie-cutter house in the sunshine, stiffly waving at me as my buggy rolled by. Have fun, one mannequin said. Don't be out too late, said the other. Stupidly, I waved back at both of them. They just seemed so real. From there, I barreled onto a twisting road that wound through thickets of fake trees and shrubbery. The music became more and more twisted and dissonant, making the endless darkness of the surrounding forest all the more frightening. The hair on my arms and the back of my neck started to stand on end. As the buggy twisted through the woods, another mannequin popped up, this time from behind a tree. This mannequin was much different from the first two. It looked terribly sad and desperate. Run, it whispered before disappearing behind a tree again. Before I could even process these whispered words of warning, the ride continued, and I saw another brightly lit scene ahead. I sighed with relief, grateful that the haunting forest scenes were almost over. As the buggy pulled up to the clearing and my eyes were given a chance to rest on the scenery, my entire body tensed in fear. The buggy had brought me to an exact scale replica of the gravel parking lot where I had parked this morning to enter the Fortress of Fun. I squinted in a meager attempt to figure out what the hell was going on, my eyes stopping on something that almost made me rip the lap bar clear off of me. There it was, a copy of my little red car, with my exact license plate and smattering of stickers parked in the replica lot, along with the six or seven other replica cars I parked next to this morning. My thoughts started to race frantically, Something was tragically wrong here. What the fuck? How did they know what car I drove? How did they know I was coming? I was in full panic mode at this point, trying to make sense of it all. The buggy seemed slow to a crawl, following the track through the parking lot, bringing me right to the front gates of the park. I saw the familiar entry booth, but no one was inside. There was just a note taped onto the glass that read, Welcome back, early bird. I screamed in shock. I wriggled violently in the buggy, trying desperately to escape this ride from hell. As though it felt my struggle, the ride sped up, making it harder for me to escape the wretched lap bar. The ride continued under the entrance archway, but rather than seeing the fake skeletons I saw this morning decorating the walls, all I saw were several of those sad, desperate mannequins fashioned in their place. Their eyes followed me under the archway as one faintly whispered, You have to jump! I shook violently at the lap bar again, trying
trying to shift it even the tiniest bit so I could squeeze out. As I entered this alternate reality amusement park courtyard, I noticed several more mannequins positioned around the park. Though they were set up to look like they were having the times of their lives, their eyes told a different story. We're trapped, one whispered. You have to jump, another one said desperately, repeating what I had heard from other mannequins. Before the ride ends, a third youthful female mannequin continued, or you'll be trapped here forever, like us. I knew the ride would end as we hit the replica of the fantastical forest ride. I just knew, in my gut, that these twisted freaks would bring this all full circle, like some sort of sick joke. I gritted my teeth, using all of my strength to try to move the lap bar. Again, as though feeling my exertion, the ride sped up, hurtling me toward the end, to my doom. With one last scream of effort, I managed to move the lap bar a couple inches, just enough for me to squeeze out. I tucked and rolled roughly off the buggy to the ride's floor, scrambling to get to my feet. I ran past the courtyard scene and all of its mannequins, who were yelling, not whispering, Please help us! Don't leave us! But I had no time to spare. I ran, tripping over track and wiring in the dark. Out of the very corner of my eye, I spotted a crack of sunlight. A door! I plowed full speed into it, falling straight outside of the dark ride's entrance. Bertha and Peggy jumped at the sudden commotion, then bristled as they realized what had happened. Get her! Peggy screamed, pigtails shaking violently. I swung my backpack at her full force as she charged at me. It connected with her head, sending her flying backwards. The man from the ticket booth stood in my path next, yelling, We just want you to be our guest forever! We get ever so lonely up here, Bertha continued his sentiment behind me. With all our guests, we never have to be alone again. Screw you, freaks! I yelled back at her, tears of frustration and betrayal forming in my eyes. She lunged at me, just missing the hood of my jacket. I sprinted toward the center of the courtyard, beelining for the archway. I slowed as I turned the corner, thinking of the poor souls stuck in that ride. What will happen to them? Should I go back? Before I could even answer my own rhetorical question, I felt the man from the ticket booth grab my arm. You're coming with us, <laughs> he laughed at me. Then you'll always be in your happy place. No! I screamed, kicking him in the stomach with all my might. He fell back heavily with a thud as I ripped my arm away from him. With one last pitiful look at Fantastical Forest, I turned my head and ran straight through the archway, ignoring the skeletons hanging on the archway walls. I fumbled for my keys as I spotted my car, not even bothering to turn around to see if anyone was still chasing me. At this point, I had one objective. Get the hell away from the Fortress of Fun. I skidded up to my car, unlocked its doors, and without taking my backpack off or buckling my seatbelt, threw my car into reverse and peeled out of the gravel parking lot. As I shifted into drive, I took one last look at the castle spires, where I thought I saw a glimpse of a mournful mannequin face watching me, pleading. With a sob, I stepped on the gas, leaving all the abandoned cars and that hellish archway in my dust swearing to never step foot in an amusement park again. For more information on this podcast, 
including how to submit your own story for consideration. Please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at creepypod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons Sharealike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the Creepy Podcast production team and the story's author. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. <laughs> Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.